Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Two and two. Yohan takes a called strike three. You pitched off that mound so many times. Yeah. Did it feel like, I don't want to say home because you have a new home now, but did it feel yeah. like coming home in a way? Yeah, like I said, it's never going to you know, not be weird. Um, you know, Roger holds it down out there too. So, um, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's something like I've, I've done it, it feels like a million times. So, uh, you know, it's always fun coming back here. It's Chris Sale. Talking about Chicago and the Roger he mentions in there, Bruce Levine, is Roger Bossard. So Chris Sale knows that mound, feels very comfortable on that mound over there on the south side. It's inside the clubhouse on 6-7 to the score. Well, Roger has uh, been one of the more creative guys as groundskeepers uh, ever in the game. And his uncle and his father were in, uh, groundskeepers before him in Cleveland and back in Chicago, going back to the 1940s. 30s. So uh, he uh, he is revered by anyone who's ever played in Chicago because of not only the great attention he p- pays to the uh, field and to the mound, but the type of great individual that Roger is. So he is fantastic. Our, our own David Schuster, who you heard on that uh, bite, uh, did an interview with Roger last week. You can find it at our website at 670thescore.com. Chris Sale had been really, really bad this year. Found it a little bit in his previous start in terms of uh, his stuff and his comfort level, not yet with results. But then last night, that's the best he's been all year. Yeah, he has. And, and it, you, you saw it coming because the velocity yep. is starting to pick up. Two guys, uh, Matt, over the last um, seven or eight years who uh, were impressive, and Verlander is a little bit more long of tooth than Chris. Uh, Verlander and Chris Sale had the ability to throw normally somewhere from 92 to 95, and then in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, step it up and hit 98, you Mm -hmm. know, eighth and ninth inning. That is a different type of animal. That is a different type of pitcher. Uh, They were the guys that not only were able to do this, but also in an era where most most pitchers average 5.1 or 5.2 innings uh, of the top pitchers, they average seven innings. Uh, Mm -hmm. So in in that case, you know, Sale is getting close to being back to what he was last night. Great breaking ball. Fastball was up again in 95, you know, taking up a little bit. Saw a couple of 96 sevens. Yeah, so uh, you're right about Sale and Verlander. CeCe Sabathia used to be that kind of guy, used to have that. Now he's a different kind of pitcher as he gets older, yeah. but that's a, that's a rare breed when it happens. We have Rick Hahn talking about the injury glut that has hit the south side, right? Yeah, Bruce? yeah, he called it a, kind of a, a kick in the, well, let's listen to Rick. It's frustrating, it's disappointing. Uh, at the same time, uh, it's the byproduct of having a significant number of potentially impactful guys that you're going to have when you're focused on the potential futures of 25, 30, 35 guys in this organization that you believe have high upsides. A handful of them are going to have injury issues along the way, and it's disappointing. You feel bad for the individual. Uh, 
you spend try not to spend too much time feeling bad for yourself because there's there's other positives throughout this organization that uh, will help hopefully make up for some of the setbacks along the way. It's Rakan talking about the, uh, the 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 massive run on injuries that have happened for the White Sox along the rebuild. It's difficult when you have uh, a lot of arms. When you're counting out a lot of arms, you look at the Mets over the past few years since they made the yeah. NLCS a couple years ago. And the Mets still trying to kind of piece it together and, and figure it out with different guys than they expected to be using along the way. Right. And, and you know, the ups and downs of rotations and the health issues, it's, again, you, you, you kind of marvel at the Chicago Cubs because uh, they have had tremendous health from their starting rotation. You know, you, you throw the Darvish thing out last year. Obviously, that was a bummer. After May 20th, he didn't pitch again, and then he had a cleanup in his elbow. But for the most part, uh, since the Epstein-Hoyer era, uh, the starting pitching has stayed immaculate as far as good health. And that's been a a huge plus for them to be able to compete and contend and win the 95, 96 games every year since 2015 average-wise. We're going to talk to Brad Brock in that Cubs bullpen. We'll talk to him uh, at the bottom of the hour here on 670, the score and inside the clubhouse. But right now the phone calls roll on. This is Dave in Plainfield. You're on with Bruce. What's happening, Dave? Yes, I I haven't passed on. I called the station when they first first on, so I'm still around. Okay, Dave. Good. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, thanks yeah for I being haven't in. passed on yet. I may have some of people's eyes, but still around. All right. Let, um, let us know if you do. Yes, I will. That will be a that will be a really good thing if you find that out. <laughs> um, couple of things. Uh, Bruce is very locked in on this thing, and he knows because he covers it every day. I don't understand Jose Abreu why he is not signed. It makes no sense to me. You're not going to find an impactful bat in the next three or four years for this organization. The second thing is I don't want to hear any more about this rebuild. Minnesota's been rebuilding the last couple of years. Look where they're at. They have done a great job with their farm system. The White Sox in the offseason knew they didn't have any pitching. They knew they had Rodon, who's always injured. I was still the trainer there two, three years ago. I never wanted this guy in the team. He's always hurt. Unfortunately, it's not his fault, but he's just hurt. They have they knew in the offseason that they would all after these guys, the little bit of money they spend on Nate Jones and John Jay and all these other guys, almost there's $18 million wasted there. They could have gone out and gotten two or three pitchers. That's what they needed to do. They didn't do it. Now look where they're at. Have a good day, guys. All right, thanks. You know, uh, I, I agree with some of the premise, Matt, but I, I just don't think that uh, the, the, the young pitching has evolved to the point where they needed to go out and get the – Solid veteran pitcher just to come in. It. I don't think they're ready. Just wasn't wasn't time yet. No, no, it wasn't John Lester time yet. Well, well, they tried to make it Manny Machado time because yeah, of the yeah. rarity of yeah. that guy as a candidate. But, but, but they have tremendous amount of resources to throw at this when they feel it's the right time. Yeah. Now, do you want to be ahead of the curve with a, uh, you, you know, going out and you know signing a guy like Keiko who will be maybe 33 or 34 by the time that you're ready to win. I, I, he intrigues the hell out of me because I think he's got stuff that should age pretty well. I think you're right. A hundred percent. You know, he's a burly type pitcher, yep. that, but, but it was it really time to do that. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, the bullpen pieces they added are not permanent bullpen pieces. They're kind of pieced together right now mm-hmm. to help uh, them kind of learn their way through making sure that the young starting pitchers 
when they did something good, there was somebody there to help them bridge and win that game and get a a good feeling about themselves as major league pitchers. You could make the case that next year is the time. It's just that you got to, are there enough people of consequence in that free agent market? And will they say yes? Yeah. You know, they, they tried to get well, Machado and, and failed. Well, will there be a future free agent market with all the signings for all the good players? That's, you know? the, that's the other thing. I mean, that's... That, you know, the, the changing, evolving way of owners approaching you know, the good young players, the great young players, identifying them for the future 10-year contracts to people that haven't even played much in the major leagues. Well, I'll tell you who will be available, and it's the kind of players that the Twins signed. Jonathan Scope, Nelson Cruz, Marwin Gonzalez is the biggest name they signed, but those are like, you know, middle-of-career veterans who there wasn't a great market for them. Right. So they said, okay, well, we'll give it a shot with these Yeah, guys. but they're going to win. They're, they're trying to yes. win this year. The White Sox are trying to ascend to winding. They're trying to get there. They're trying if you talk to anybody in their organization off the record, they would probably tell you if we won 75 games this year and we continue to have some health, yeah. which they haven't had uh going forward, that would be that would constitute a very good season for them. Uh, all the old-time guys are out today, Bruce. This is Marty in Highland Park on 670 the score. What's up, Marty? Well, as I called the very first day the score went on, and I remember being angry at somebody. Uh, <laughs> was it uh, was it a phone on the wall that had a spin dial? It was Tom Scher probably said something that drove you crazy. Right, all the guys from Sports Phone, I remember them. Uh -huh. um, the reason I'm calling is I every day I watch the White Sox minor league system, and there's this myth that they have this great minor league system. You've got a two maybe three legitimate prospects there. Everybody else is terrible, including most of their first-round draft choices. Yeah, well, if you can identify, uh, you know, the the great players and the really good players, if, if you get uh, maybe six, seven, eight out of 20 – that are star players that mm -hmm. are that are everyday players. That's that's a real good percentage, and uh, that's what the White Sox are shooting for. That's why they they don't tell anybody we are turning the corner. Our rebuild is complete. You know, this is going into July. Will be the fourth year that they start. You know, so um, not everybody is going to have a rebuild where they win a championship in the fourth year, uh, like the Cubs and the Astros. Well, the Astros were a little longer. But uh, the but those two organizations spoiled everybody in they, terms of the did, idea. They did absolutely, yeah. And and the idea that everybody wins that does a rebuild, right. you know, that's you know that's pie in the sky. I I like a lot of the players that White Sox have. I like their direction. They have a lot of a lot of work to do still. They have money to throw at players when they mm -hmm. feel it's the right time. I think White Sox fans should try to remember that. Uh, it's not all doom and gloom. Well, not only absolutely, and and Marty needs to realize there's volume of these prospects. I mean, you look at their the top twenty prospects, and some of them are hurt guys like Kopech and Dane Dunning. There's Basabi who just came back. There's Micker Adolfo who's coming off Tommy John surgery as an outfielder. Um, but then there's guys like Nick Madrigal and Blake Rutherford and Zach Collins who are doing good things. Yeah, and you have Ro you have Robert who, although he's had his injuries to that hand, mm -hmm. has. Uh, Within one month, advance from A to double A, triple uh, A, maybe very soon in the next couple months. And, you know, he might be a, a star above some of these other guys with the ability to uh, be a superstar after they paid him an awful lot of money. Uh, so 
again, pointing to this, I know for White Sox fans, it's pie in the sky, but uh, the White Sox are still a competitive team, even with all the flaws. This hour on Inside the Clubhouse is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. I do have that image of next year, spring training, breaking camp, with Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech in your rotation and the opportunity to say, you know what, let's go ahead and start the year with Luis Robert and put him out there with Eloy Jimenez and improving Tim Anderson and improving Moncada. And, oh, my God, are, are we Zach Collins and, and Sebi Zavala at the catcher? And here we go. You yeah. know, and whoever they can sign in the free agent class, then it's a completely different feeling next March. Let's take a couple more calls and then uh, We'll hit a couple breaks, and then Brad Brock of the Cubs will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. This is Brad in Plainfield. Brad, you're on the score. Good morning. Hi, guys. Uh, this is actually Matt, but uh, Hello, Matt. thanks for uh, letting me jump on. So, a couple observations and then a thought. So, as I look at the White Sox and their inability to attract star free agents, everyone says, well, next year we can go out and find a Garrett Cole, but the White Sox have shown that they will never spend huge money on starting pitching. They got involved with Machado and to a lesser extent Harper because they were generational talents. But if anybody thinks that the Sox are going to go out and sign an all-star type starting pitcher for a six-year uh, deal, it's not going to happen. And well, is it, it is it advisable to do that? I think depending on the starting pitcher, yeah. possibly. Well, how about, Matt, taking some of that depth of prospects that we just detailed and trading for somebody, going to grab somebody, um, going to grab one of these young pitchers who has three, four years of uh, of control and giving up quite a bit of your prospects but using I, your capital I, that way. Matt, I agree. I mean, uh, the, if you look at the Cubs' rebuild, it's not about their minor league system. It's not about the players they developed. It's about the great trades that they made. Well, I guess it's both, right? And, and free agency. Uh, they certainly did use. Well, you name name the name the impactful uh, farm system guys on the team now. Well, um, uh, Javier Baez was there. He was there before. Before, then. yeah, Baez and Contreras were there before. Right. Um, Bryant, I'll go. I'll give you Chris Bryant. Okay. Um, I will give you um, Kyle Schwarber. Okay. All right. All right. I will give you Kyle Hendricks. I mean, they traded for him, though. No, no, that's they a trade. For him. That's yeah. a dumpster trade, right. to your point. Right. So mo- most of it's trade and free agency. And, uh, you know, draft picks, you can't get better than Bryant. Hopefully, Schwarber is going to end up being a star. He's had seasons of 30 and 26 home runs. Mm-hmm. But my point is, without all the areas, all the areas being international signings, yeah. okay, free agents, trades, the draft. Without all that working together like they did for the Houston Astros and for the Chicago Cubs, it doesn't happen for you. You know, Baez, as a texture says, was there before, but you've got to give this regime some credit, including Joe Madden specifically, about the development of Javier Baez because a lot of it has happened here on the major league level. So I, 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 I give Joe some love for that. No, I mean, look, uh, I, don't, I don't give – uh, Epstein Hoyer and Madden not credit for these mm-hmm. guys. I think Hendricks was traded for, but developed in the cup in the cub system. Yeah. He was the, the pitcher of the year in their minor leagues before he, he ascended to the major league level. So uh, I'm not nitpicking on them. I'm just saying uh, w- without 
these combinations of things yeah. happening for you, it is not it's not going to happen. And the White Sox know that as well as anybody, and that's why you'll continue to see them make trades. You'll consider the trade. You know, somebody's calling about Jose Abreu. Um, they're going to have to consider. You know, at age thirty three. How many years do you want to give Abreu? How badly does Abreu want to stay as a free agent in mm-hmm. November? Uh, will he give up a contract for four years with somebody else to stay two years with the White Sox if that's what they offer? You know, got to be careful, though, when you're going to package some of your kids to make a deal for a pitcher. You remember the Cubs going out to get Matt Garza and giving up a very young Chris Archer in the yeah. process. Yeah, Here absolutely. is Chris Archer. The guy who has a 4.33 ERA in Pittsburgh is doing what he's doing. Meanwhile, Tampa got Tyler Glass now, who's got a 1.47 right. ERA, a Whipple one. Yep, and Austin Meadows, who's got an OPS of almost 1,100. Those, they got those two guys plus uh, and, another prospect. And, and uh, who developed those players? The Pirates. Who is getting the uh, residual impact for their team? Mm -hmm. The Tampa Rays, who made that stealth deal. So if you do make a deal from the White Sox perspective for a starting pitcher... Make sure you don't give up the wrong guys. Uh, six seven eleven is how you text. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven is how you call. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. It is inside the clubhouse. Brad Brock from the Cubs bullpen will join us in a few minutes on the score. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse on six seventy. The score. Kyle Hendricks. The story of the day yesterday in Chicago baseball. They call it a Maddox, Bruce, when you throw a complete game shutout with less than 100 pitches. How about 81 for Kyle? It's the first Maddox thrown by a Cubs since Carlos Zambrano. And the fewest pitches in a complete game shutout by a Cubs pitcher since John Lieber in 2001 threw 78 pitches. And this is weird. Zambrano and Lieber were both there yesterday. Yeah, I talked to him, man. If you go to 670score.com, you'll see some quotes from uh, Lieber in my story nice. on the uh, game. Yeah, it was uh, – he said, he, he said uh, you know, he was better than me, Lieber said, you know, after the game. He said – I said, John, you threw a one-hitter. I said – he said, no, but, you know, they hit the ball hard uh, during that game. I said, John, you didn't walk anybody. <laughs> I said, well, but there were 25 balls put in play uh, because he only struck out two. I said, well, you know, Hendricks only struck out three guys yesterday. So yeah. he said, well, Hendricks is a hell of a pitcher, and it was fun to see him in there. But um, the uh, the thing called a Maddox, yes. Matt, that is since 1990 – and you love numbers, and I do too. Mm-hmm. Since 1990, only five pitchers, including Hendricks, have thrown complete game shutouts with 81 pitches or less. Okay? Uh-huh. So Aaron Cook of the Rockies in 2009 and 12, Rich Harden of Oakland in 2005, Lee Burr of the Cubs in 2001, Dre Beck in 1990, and now you have... Hendricks. That's pretty amazing. So, and a Maddox is a game, a shutout, nine-inning, complete game with 99 pitches or less. I'm looking at a, a, a big list of them um, f- starting several years ago. Including, I see one from 1948 on this list. But you know who I see on this list? Bob Tewksbury. Cubs yep. mental skills coach Bob Tewksbury has he's a couple had, of these. He's had five Maddoxes. How about it? Yeah. Makes five. all the sense. Tewksbury and Hendricks. They 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 remind me of each other. Yep. Yeah. Slow ballers or blank ballers. You can't use the term <laughs> radio, but 
uh, nonetheless, tremendously effective. And, uh, you know, the, the, the beauty of uh, Kyle Hendricks, and we'll talk to his teammate Brad Brock about this in a, in a second, is he's such a, uh, an interesting guy, and he's such a uh, communicator to go along with the great stuff that he has. Yeah, you know, it's, I wonder what Brad Brock has, has learned and, and thought about the way the Cubs do business from the pitching perspective with Mike Borzello and Tommy Hottavy and all these guys. Let's talk to him right now. Let's find out. Brad Brock joins us uh, here on the, what is it, Matt? It is the uh, hmm, hmm, the St. Charles Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram Hotline, home it, of the real deal. It, it is. Brad, welcome to Inside the Clubhouse. Thanks for taking a few minutes out this morning. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. So when you watch Hendricks pitch, what do you get out of it? Because this is relatively new for you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's extremely impressive. You know, when you see him on TV or from the other side, it's, uh, it's a little bit different. But when you get to see it from uh, the home clubhouse and watch him just go out there and the way he – has a game plan and just executes to uh, flawlessness like he did yesterday. It's it's really impressive. And I think the thing I didn't realize is that, you know, he's able to just blow guys away with 86 sometimes. And I saw it in spring training. I was just like, yeah. it's hard to believe. But because this changeup is just so Bugs Bunny, like he's able to throw a ball by guys at 86, 87. And it's just, it's really impressive. And uh, it's definitely, I think, no matter what kind of pitcher you are, you can learn something from watching him pitch. Brad, I, I wonder what what you think of the way the Cubs do things as a pitching staff, um, and as a as a from a coaching perspective and from the front office on down, how different it is if it is different from the way that you've done stuff at other major league stops in your career. Yeah, it's definitely it's impressive. They have so much information that basically it's gotten to the point where I think I need to find out what's what works for me and what kind of I just need to kind of. Uh, just focus on my strengths even more. But, yeah, it's impressive. There's so much information. There's so much uh, when it comes to your mechanic stuff. There's 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 such a wide variety of information that they have. that it's, it's really impressive, and it definitely helps. I mean, Atlanta's getting there. When I was there last year, I noticed that was the first team that used analytics that I had been on, and they have a lot of information. But I think the Cubs are even ahead of them. And, you know, Baltimore, it sounds like they're going to be heading in this direction also with the analytics. I just think – there's definitely a happy medium when it comes to this stuff. Uh, if you don't have it, you're definitely behind the eight ball. Um, so the Cubs are definitely on the forefront of that. Yeah, for a lot of years, the people said Baltimore was the one team that was really way behind on some of this stuff. I don't think that's true anymore. It's interesting what you say that there's so much available. You've got to decide what is too much, like what's actually useful and what is like, all right, just don't tell me that. Do they help you sort of figure that out? Uh, I think so. I think they, they get to – I mean – it's tough when they don't really know you yet personally. So I think the last, uh, you know, like four weeks in spring training has been like kind of a learning process for us both just to know that, okay, this information is good for him. Maybe let's not, you know, let's not give him too much of this stuff or let's, let's back off on this kind of stuff. Cause it's just a lot. And I know for me, I, I probably think a little bit too much while I'm pitching. That's what gets me in trouble. I wish I didn't think as much as I did sometimes, but it's uh, one of those things where I, I'm definitely learning that, okay, maybe I don't need to like dive into you know, this stuff too much, or maybe I should dive into that a little bit more. And it's been good. It's been a nice learning process. And I think the last couple of weeks I've really started to come into my own a little bit. Obviously I'd like to not walk as many people as I have, but uh, it's definitely been, a, it's been an awesome experience. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. Brad Brock joining us and inside the clubhouse for a few more minutes. Uh, Brad, um, what has uh, been your impression of uh, the, the way the starting pitchers have been able to step up and, how much has that helped you guys just be able to 
exhale a little bit in the bullpen uh, after a helter-skelter first week or 10 days of the season. Yeah, I think it kind of I think it was kind of a shock to all of us in the bullpen the way that the start that we got off to just because I don't think anybody expected uh you know us not to perform up to a level that we we probably set ourselves the standard that we set ourselves. So it's it was definitely a shock that first week, but yeah, like you've said, I mean, since that that first road trip, this starting staff has just been unbelievable. When you have a a staff that can go out there and you know, give you almost six, seven, eight innings every single night. And, you know, yesterday a complete game, it just kind of helps you reset as a bullpen. And, you know, just it, it kind of allows them to put you in a better spot when you come in the game. And I think that's Joe's biggest key is that he wants to bring you into the game in a spot that he thinks you can succeed the best. And when you're getting seven innings from your starters, it's a lot easier to kind of hand pick and place where you want to put guys as opposed to maybe putting them in a situation that, you know, they're not sure if you can handle it or whatever. Brad, I really appreciated your candor when talking about the free agent process that you went through in the offseason because it was awkward to watch for a lot of people. And have you been able to kind of put those feelings aside or does it does it still kind of pop back into your head and, you know, in terms of like, boy, I wonder why they all had the same exact numbers they offered me. That was kind of weird. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of, it's water under the bridge at this point. It, it's done with and it's over with, and I'm really happy to be with Chicago and um, and the Cubs. And it's it's um it's it was definitely frustrating going through it. And as it like came to the end, and you noticed everybody was given the same offers. Obviously, that was frustrating. But you know, once the once spring training starts, there's no there's no going back. There's no redo. So the contract's done. I'm really happy to be here. And it's kind of one of those things. I just kind of look at the glass half full as opposed to you know, sitting there and sulking about what happened or, you know, what went wrong with the free agency process. It's I'm still very lucky to get to do this job for a living, and I just have to kind of look at it that way and just enjoy every day while I'm here. Good for you. Here's a very deep question I've been thinking about for a long time that I'm going to ask you. Um, who dresses uh, more uh, sensationally than Pedro Strope? <laughs> yeah, there's not many people. I Pedro, man, he, he brings so much life to the – to the uh, team and the, especially the bullpen, it's it's awesome. It's gr- it's great being around a teammate like that. And like you said, his dress is by far the best I've ever seen of anybody in the big leagues. I think he, uh, I don't know if he has a personal stylist or something, but maybe I should uh, talk to his guy and see if he can help me out a little bit. I don't know if I want to dress as much as he does, but uh, it's it's really impressive. <laughs> and you you uh, kind of have yeah, to, like I said, Brad, you kind of have to have a, a certain way about you to be able to pull it off, don't you? I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know what's funny is because when you see, you know, normally if you see somebody dressed like that, you're thinking, oh, man, maybe this guy is cocky or whatever. But Pedro is the complete opposite of that. So I don't know if I could pull that off with my personality that I have. But, hey, it works for him, and he, he pulls it off better than anybody I've ever seen. <laughs> as far as far as the team itself, you've been on playoff teams in Baltimore and Atlanta last year. But uh, – what what impression have you gotten from as you look locker to locker and have gotten to know guy to guy about how they carry themselves in wins and more importantly after losses? Yeah, it's uh, it's extremely professional here. I know um, you know everybody, for, at least from the outside perspective, look like you know everybody's having so much fun and all this stuff, and we are. It's, that's definitely part of it, but it's also very professional. Everybody goes about their work on a daily basis. You're you're lucky if you find a guy at his locker during the time waiting for the game because everybody's off doing something to prepare themselves to win that day. And like you said, after games, we really enjoy the, uh, you know, you got to enjoy the wins in the major leagues. And especially, you know, this year, every win is going to count. I think last year with this team, you know, it came down to one less win in the Brewers. And I think every win really means that much more. So I think everybody's just really focused on that. 
And like you said, with the losing, I think there was no panic. I think after we started that first road trip, three and six or whatever it was, that, you know, we got off to a bad start that we were not expecting. You could, you could kind of tell that most teams would probably panic, and there was no panic. It was kind of, okay, let's get back to what got us to this point and uh, just go out there and execute it tomorrow. And it's been a really uh, great stretch here, and hopefully we can keep it going for the rest of the summer. Could you share with us a similarity and maybe a difference between Buck Showalter and Joe Madden? That's two pretty, pretty esteemed managers you've had a chance to play for over the past few years. Yeah, I'd say similarity. Um, I mean, this is off the top of my head, but I'd say they both definitely have a game plan. Obviously, I think they're executed a little bit differently and maybe talked about a little bit differently, but you don't get to the level that these managers have been at with um, without having a game plan that you're ready to execute um, as the game goes along. And so I think they're very both very um, – when the game starts, there's really nothing that surprises them. And that's what I've been really impressed with here with Joe and obviously with Buck. It's just one of those things that there's – there's never a situation that's going to arise that's going to surprise them. And it's been really – it's been awesome here. And obviously I was very lucky to be under Buck for um, five years. And I don't know, the difference is just the – you know, just their personalities. And I think that's, that's what makes them both uh, great managers and great guys to work with is, you know, Buck's a little bit more serious and Joe's a little bit more laid back. I told Joe in spring that he came over to me after one of the outings and just kind of talked to me. He's like, hey, if there's anything you want to talk about, he's like, I have some interest, you know, outside of baseball if you want to sit down and – come to my office anytime, feel free to duck in. I was like, hey, Joe, just so you know, it's the first time I've ever really had a conversation with a manager <laughs> where he said that. And it's just, it's just different styles. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with either one. Um, they both obviously had a lot of success, and there's a lot of success here. And it's, it's just very interesting to see both different personalities able to get teams to go all in the same direction like they both have been able to. Absolutely. Brad, we appreciate you taking some time. Join us on Inside the Clubhouse. We'll see you out at the ballpark a little later. Have a great day. Thanks. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Brad Brock, uh, an interesting guy. And you know what? In In my time covering baseball for all these millions of years, the bullpen guys and the catchers are really the guys that, uh, really know how to advance conversations and they're they're some of the more intriguing guys in the Hmm, game that's interesting Uh, they just you know bullpen guys are sitting out there for hours and hours and hours their whole lives and they 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 do share and catchers have to be communicators that they really do yeah i mean uh if you see if you see a list of the managers that have managed over the last hundred years in baseball Uh uh-huh Huge majority of them were, were catchers, either in minor leagues or major leagues. So. Yeah, and, and I've always kind of attributed a lot of that to the way that a catcher sees the game, the way the catcher has to think of the game. But to your point, catcher's got to be able to talk about talk with 10, 12 different people, right? you got to be able to have a conversation and communicate and, and make those people comfortable. So it makes all the sense in the world. I love that image of Joe Madden saying, hey, I have interests outside the game. If you want to talk yeah. about anything, come on in. He's, he's an intriguing guy. <laughs> if you sat down in a bar... If you, you sat at a bar with Joe Madden and you didn't know who he was or where he worked, uh-huh. you'd walk away saying, hey, that was a great guy. Yeah. What a great conversation because that's just the genuine way he is. I learned about art and I learned about history yep. and, and wine. Yeah, absolutely. Got to take a break. We'll be back. with we'll wrap up this puppy on Inside the Clubhouse. Welcome back in. On Inside the Clubhouse here on 670 The Score, Steve Rosenblum is up after us along with David Schuster. They'll take you through the rest of the day. They will suck, so you do not have to. It is true. Um, yeah. I got to go watch some Division Three softball. That's going to be fun. I got to go watch uh, 
a combination of two baseball games today with the uh, White Sox, the Cubs starting at three, White Sox at seven. I'm going to maneuver my way to both ballparks, meaning I'll do a lousy job covering half of each ball game. <laughs> well, see, yesterday was an opportunity for the straight doubleheader. I know some folks did it out there. Go right. see Kyle Hendricks in the afternoon. Go see Renato Lopez and Chris Sale in the evening. I wanted to come to the White Sox today because Sale is supposed to talk uh, at length to the Chicago media, even though he talked yesterday after uh-huh. his game. He's going to set some time aside to talk about his experiences. And going from making $32.5 million for five years yeah. to almost $30 million a year for the next five from his White Sox contract that he initially signed eight years ago, and now his new contract with the Boston Red Sox. I think that gives him the freedom to slice up as many retro jerseys as he likes, doesn't it, Bruce? I don't think it matters when you can uh, win 17 games and strike out 300. You know, I think you make your own rules. He did. You know, he certainly did. Uh, but I, uh, just just a line. I, you know, yesterday is the first day he looked like himself since mm, late last season. Yeah, late last season he wasn't himself uh, mm-hmm. really. I mean, two stints on the DL last year or IL now, DL then. Uh, they're changing terminology on us as we speak, and uh, the fact that he uh, doesn't have quite the power arm, but he knows how to pitch. I thought his best year in Major League Baseball was. 2017 for the White Sox because he did have that approach of dialing it back. Don right? Cooper, you know, we're going to make them hit the ball in the three pitches. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to do that. We know we can strike out 300, but we'd rather be around in the seventh and eighth inning to finish some of the business that we started. At 305, it's Michael Waka, 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 and you, Darvish, over at uh, Wrigley Field. Darvish coming off six good innings. When asked how you top that, he said, how about seven? So that's what he'll be going for What's today. wrong with, it, with nine, like uh, uh, Hendricks? Like. Yeah, uh, and, then, and then at 610, it'll be uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, who's not been good, against Manny Banuelos for the White Sox. You know, the three times around theory of uh, the metrics people and saying that your odds of the third time around eliminating uh, hitters and being effective is not good all goes away when you have top flight starting pitchers because those guys transcend any of that, well, they're not going to be good the third time around. Especially if they have a variety of pitches and they can mix it up. And the beauty of the Chicago Cubs pitching staff, and I know we've talked a little bit about this, and maybe we'll do more at length talk about that in the future, Matt, is they have five starting pitchers, three of them left-handed, and none of them are carbon copies of themselves. They're all funky different than the other guy. So when you prepare for the Chicago Cubs, there's not that consistency. Oh, we got a hard-throwing right-hander. Mm-hmm. Uh, they throw 96, and we're going to see three of them in this four-game series that we have. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Lester is heavy on the cutter. Quintana, now that he's mixing the changeup in, and that kind of sweepy curveball is different than Lester's curveball. And then right. Hamels is that changeup, that changeup low and away time after time. Yeah, and we've yet to see the best of you, Darvish. He was a power pitcher for most of his career. Will he be back to that? We know he has four or five different pitches he throws and that he can throw them for strikes. like to see some of that length today. If he can go seven today, 
think that would be a huge boost for him and the rest of the team as well. What What do you think they want out of him, Bruce? They want him to use a wider array of those pitches, right? I just think they want the heartbeat to be, you know, pumped up a little bit. Hmm. I, don't, I don't think they've – I mean, we know he's an outstanding pitcher. We know he's accomplished a lot. But they haven't seen that, you know, dynamic start from him yet. And I think, you know, today would be an, uh, an obvious time where he can go out there and throw seven – you know, even if he gets up two or three runs, great. You know, fine. Just throw your 105 pitches, your 110 pitches, throw seven innings, and just be the guy that they thought you were coming in. Well, he gave them um, several innings of it after uh, after a bumpy first one or two. The last time out, was it 50 pitches through two innings and then got through six? Right. Very dominant there towards the end. Right. So. You know, there was a lot of talk that day after that. Like, is that the breakthrough start for you, Darvish? There's just this little hesitancy that you see with you, Darvish, and he's much better than that. And that's what they're counting on. The hesitancy you see from him in terms of comfort level and like just the swagger, like go out there. Yeah, and just I be mean, you. The, the guy has tremendous stuff. He's accomplished pitcher. Just go out there and pitch, you know, and mm-hmm. do your thing and. Let it all hang out. Uh, it sounds simple from my end. He has that ability to do that. Now that he's past injuries and he's got a comfort level there, just let it fly. So um, we have a minute or so here. What was the stuff with, with Chris Bryant and, and Joe Madden you yeah. were discussing? Yeah, thanks for bringing that back up. So a week ago I went to, to Joe and I said, what's going on? said, you know, with this loopy swing and he's just not ready. Mm-hmm. He said, give me a week. I'm working with Iaposi and Chris, and we're working on getting him to be a little taller in the box. More importantly, look at his bat when he's swinging. If you see at the top and he's getting ready to swing and he's moving the bat around, that's not what they want. Uh. Look for the still bat and ready to ready to get into the hitting movement and if he's bad is still that's what they've been working on he's ready to pull he's ready to hit hard the opposite way and he says you're we're seeing much more of that right now so a little a little taller in the box hands a little bit higher that's awesome and the bat being still before he swings that's awesome one of my favorite things about this year is joe being as involved as he is with specific hitters he's loving it yeah. he really is hey we have people to thank matt we do brad brock was really fun to talk to from the cubs bullpen and john rooney the venerable voice of the the cardinals and the white Sox. before that pleasure people, to have him people can follow me on twitter at mlb bruce levine i write cubs and white Sox every day at 670thescore.com matt have a great week Enjoy that softball tournament. I know everything's going to turn out well. Appreciate it. And tomorrow morning, Hit and Run will be me and Chris Ranji right here on 670 The Score. Thank you, Zach Withers, for a job very well done. Steve Rosenblum, David Schuster coming up next on The Score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.